Hey, this is John Morgan. I'm the lead pastor here at Word of Life Church in the nation's capital. I want to personally thank you for taking time out to listen to our podcast today. It's our prayer that you're inspired and that your life is changed for the better while listening. So go ahead, enjoy today's message. I want you to go with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 to 26. What is it if you gain the whole world and you discover that you have a nut allergy? Can't be a good thing. Jesus told his disciples, verse 24, if anyone, everyone say anyone. I love that word. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Verse 25, for whoever, everyone say whoever. I like that word too, because it's like anyone, would save his life, will lose it, and whoever, say it again with me, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man or shall a man give in return for his soul? For whoever would save his life will lose it, But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Father, we just thank you for your word today. We thank you that it's alive and powerful. We thank you that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you that it's able to get into our life and penetrate and bring supernatural change from the inside out. And that's what we're praying today. We pray that we're not reading dead words on a page. But your word is alive. And we pray, Holy Spirit, you breathe afresh on it today in our life. That we can grasp, Spirit of God, what you're saying to your church right now. And Lord, we can be not just hearers of the word only. But Lord, that we would find ways that we could put this word into application in our own life. That's our prayer right here, right now. In Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen, amen, amen. Come on, let's give Jesus Christ a round of applause. I think it was around about, it was around about 2001. I'd, I'd been in America. I'd preached for Pastor Kevin Gerald at uh, Champion Center in Tacoma, Washington. And I'd gone back to New Zealand. That's where I was living at that point. And I was traveling full-time, traveling. I think at some point I was flying like 250,000 miles a year. So there was a lot of traveling happening out because New Zealand's in the middle of nowhere. Like nothing's close. Not even hell. There's nothing close. And so uh, I was doing a lot of traveling. So I get an email from a young guy and, uh, and saying, hey, um, I know you're traveling. I feel called to ministry. Would it be okay if uh, I, I I travel with you, spend some time with you um, on 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 the road, and and uh, and so I, I I thought I remember this guy, Brandon Stewart. I think we got a photo of Brandon. This is Brandon now. That's not 20 years ago. This is an older version of Brandon. But imagine him 20 years younger. I don't think he had a beard back then or whatever. He couldn't shave. And so I, 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 I said, well, sure. Like, there, there was this great thing. The American dollar was really strong against the New Zealand dollar. And I said, why don't you just get a cheap flight down to Auckland? And what they have through the Star Alliance are these around-the-world tickets 
that you can get for like 2,000 New Zealand dollars. That was around about 55 cents American. And you can buy this around the world ticket. I'm about to do a, uh, an around the world tour. I'm flying from New Zealand up into Singapore, down to South Africa. I'll be in Johannesburg, then down to Cape Town, and then back up into Europe and across into Canada, and then a few cities in America. And then you can just jump off and go back to Seattle, and I'll continue down to New Zealand. It'd be a really economic way to do that. And I was like, just pay for everything that wouldn't normally happen if I was ministering. So if they put us in a hotel, you can stay in the same room as me. That won't be an issue. You don't need to worry about hotel costs. And uh, I said, just be prepared. Sometimes I get a bit peopled out and maybe I want you to get your own room. So put some money aside for that. But pretty much you can travel around the world and we can do three weeks together. And uh, and that'll, that, that'll be great. I have a heart to train young men. This is a perfect opportunity. And so I got a reference from his youth pastor, and I was excited for him to arrive. I was preaching in Perth, Australia, the weekend that he arrived in New Zealand. And so, but he arrived early, uh, got plugged into the church. He said, I'll meet you at your church at five o'clock tonight. So it was great. He got back into town and was ready to, to meet Brandon. And uh, as, as I came into the, the staff area, the office area, this young guy walked towards me going, Pastor John, Pastor John. And I realized this is the guy I've been writing to who I have never met in my life before. He is not the person I thought he was. He is, he is not Brandon. He is not Brandon. He is no connection. Like this is Brandon Stewart. This is what Brandon Stewart looks like. This is the guy that I was traveling with. This is the guy that's walking down and I'm going to spend three weeks of my life with this man on the road. Moral of the story is simply this. If you're going to go around the world with somebody for three weeks, you better know who you're traveling with. <laughs> Jesus went up onto a mountain and he called to them himself, those he himself wanted, and they came to him and then he appointed 12. Jesus called people up onto the mountain. Let's just say it's 100 people. Jesus called people up on the mountain to be with him so he could get to know them, so he could spend some time with them, share his vision and his life with them. And then he appointed 12, which means that there are at least 88, maybe if there's 100, uh, there's a, a group of people that were rejected. You, you're not going to be able to do the journey with me. Jesus appointed 12 to run with him. Why? Because if you're going to run with somebody, you want to clarify that you are running with the right person person. Bible's pretty clear. If you walk with the wise, you'll grow wise. A companion of fools will suffer harm. I would suggest to you that if you run with the wise, you're going to run wise. But if you are a companion of fools, you're going to suffer harm. So, so Jesus does that with his disciples. He, he clarifies the race and, and, he, and he does that so they would know what the race is about. Jesus clarifies the race. He reminds them of his grace. He quantifies the chase. And then Jesus is very effective in keeping the reward in front of their face. Jesus has called every one of us. Bible says many are called, but few are chosen. 
Being called is more than just being saved. It's more than just church attendance. It's more than a private uh, and personal God experience. It's about you and I building the kingdom of God together and doing the mission of Jesus. So in this passage of Scripture, we see that Jesus clarifies the pace. If you're going to run with me, i got a pace that I move at. And all throughout chapter 16, Jesus gives us a, an idea of the things that we need to avoid if we're going to run fast. Remember the book of Hebrews, it says, lay aside every sin and every weight that so easily besets you. So there are some things you've got to lay aside. Why? So you can run the race that is set before you. In verse 12, Jesus reminds us that a religious mindset is more interested in protecting the past than embracing the future. Jesus said, they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So right up there, early in the book of, of Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is warning his disciples to have an encounter with the religious people of the day. And he says, you guys need to avoid the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Immediately, they thought he was talking about bread, and then the penny dropped, and they realized, no, he's not talking about bread, he's talking about teaching, because religious teaching is going to rob you from running the race in the future. You, you can't run the race ahead of you when you're consistently looking over your shoulder of what's behind you. Yesterday was a great day. But tomorrow is better. Last year was a great year, but the best years for us are way ahead of us. And you can't allow religiosity or tradition to keep you as a prisoner of your past if you want to embrace all the things God's got for our future. You've got to let it go and you've got to move on. In verse 13, he teaches us that the opinion of others will cause us to be double-minded in our direction if we embrace everybody else's opinions. In verse 13, Jesus says to them, "Who do I, the, men, some, the people say that I am, and uh, they all have an opinion. Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, uh, some say one of the prophets, a good man. Everybody had an opinion, but every one of those opinions was incorrect. They knew those opinions because they'd been in conversation. And so they're in conversation, hearing opinions, and you've got to overcome the opinions of others if you're going to run the race that Jesus has set before you. Not, not knowing where you're going will either get you lost or slow you down. In verse 15, Jesus said, but who do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? It's like, okay, we've heard the opinions, but what about, what about you? How do you see me? How do you embrace me? What's your opinion about me? Who do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? And so you, you better know who you're running with if you're going to run the race. I don't know if you've been on a plane recently. But I, you get on a plane and, you know, they load the plane and every passenger's on the plane and you've gone through security and you've got your ticket and you've scanned in, you know, at the boarding gate. And you've marched down, you've found your seat, you put your, 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 your bag up in the overhead locker, unless you're like some people, and you put your bag up in, into the overhead that doesn't fit your bag in the overhead locker because that's a suitcase. But anyway, you found your seat and you're ready to fly and seat belts are on and, and then they 
they come on, they say, um, if Chicago is not your destination, now's the time to get off the plane. Which always seems to me to be a weird thing to say when we've gone through that process. But at least once or twice, I've flown and someone's gone, oh, that's not where I'm heading. And they've got off the plane. Who do men say that I am? Jesus is making sure that you know who you are running with. Then being on the running track, this is important. Being on the track is not as important as running the race. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And what did, what did Jesus say to him? Get behind me. Not a compliment. Not like building him up. Being on the race course or the race track is not as important as running. Knowing who Jesus is and knowing what he's about are two different things. So you have him knowing who Jesus is. You're the son of God. And Jesus says to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, flesh and blood haven't, haven't, blood haven't revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven, this is a compliment. You're the man out of all the 12. You got it. You're awesome. Peter's like, yes, I knew I'm awesome. And then a few sentences later, he's talking about what the price is going to be. And Peter interjects and says, I'm not going to let that happen. And Jesus rebukes him. He goes from a compliment to a rebuke in a few verses. Why? Because Jesus was on a mission. It's one thing to know who Jesus is, but it's a totally different thing to know what Jesus is about. It's the difference between the presence of God and the purpose of God. We need the presence of God. We chase the presence of God. But equal to the presence of God is the purpose of God. But you can have the presence of God, but not have the purpose of God. Because God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. So you can be way off course of what he wants to do on the planet today, and you're still going to experience his presence, but he'll lift his purpose off you and look for somebody else who's carrying his presence and put their purpose on them. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go to heaven only experiencing the presence of Jesus. I want them both. I want the presence of God, and I want the purpose of God to happen in my life. I don't know how I continue to do that with water, but maybe I should never have water on the platform. Because I'm not, well, right now I can walk on water. And you can say to your friends at church, I mean, at work on Monday, I know what your pastor was doing on the weekend. But I literally saw my pastor walk on water. Would you like to come to Candy Palooza? Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We are all invited on the journey. But if we want to go along and be on the journey, we've got to know his purpose. Second thing is Jesus reminds us of his grace. I, I, I love that. 
Verse 24, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The, the, the road that we follow may be narrow, but the invite is wide. We may be on a narrow road, but the invitation to follow him is wide. Anybody, for God so loved the, that whosoever would simply believe in him would not. I love, I love the bigness of that statement. I, I, I love the bigness of God. It's, it's a part of his characteristic and a part of his nature. You are not disqualified from the race, depending on your political party or your, you know, push towards political correctness, that God will embrace you. You're, you're not disqualified from the race if you are vaccinated or unvaccinated. You're not disqualified from the race if you choose to wear Gucci or if your clothes are from the 50% off section at Walmart Rack. You're not disqualified from the chase because of your skin color, your eye color, your hair color, or if you don't have any hair that you can actually color it. You are not disqualified from the race if you're a Washington Commander supporter or a Dallas Cowboys supporter. Well, let's be real. He really struggles if you're a Dallas Cowboys supporter. I just threw that in to make people feel good, but I'm not even sure that last bit about Dallas is true. Everybody, anybody. It doesn't matter whether you are into Bernie Sanders or Colonel Sanders. It really doesn't matter. God loves you for whoever should. He loves you. He loves the world. Full stop. That's his grace. Then Jesus goes on and he quantifies the chase. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me. You've got you to put your neck out. You've you got you to take some risk. You've got to reach beyond yourself. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, there, there is a cost. There is a price to pay. You're going to need to deny yourself. You're going to need to take up your cross, and you're going to have to follow me. In order to run with me, you need to understand these things. You need to deny yourself. Now, denying yourself doesn't mean that you are to abuse yourself or to punish yourself or to be mean to yourself. It just means that you have to decrease so he can increase. That God's plans for you are greater than your plans for yourself. That his way is greater than your way. That his word is greater than your word, that you can have an opinion, everyone's entitled to an opinion, but we're also called to renew our mind and line it up with the word of God. So there is a denial of self. And then he says, I want you to take up your cross. They, they all understood what that meant in the context that's daily discipline, not my will, but your will be done. I need to deny myself, less of me, more of him. And then I need to take up my cross, not my will, but your will be done. And I need to follow after him. The pursuit of Jesus some of you have never started that race, and some of you have been doing it for a little while now. Some of you have been doing it for decades. 
But is there anybody in the house today that would say, you know what, I am glad the day I took that first step in my pursuit of Jesus and his presence, running the race that God has set before us. And I'm not looking back, I'm looking forward to the things that God has for me. And then lastly, Jesus keeps the reward in our face. I I want you to get this. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There are two counterweights in this passage. Cost and reward. If you can imagine, old set of scales, not the ones you stand on, but the old set, like a teeter-totter. And on one side you have cost, and the other side you have reward. You are hard-pressed in the Bible to find anywhere that you pay a cost that you don't get a reciprocating reward. Equally in the Bible, you are hard-pressed to find any place in there that you get a reward or there is a reward without a cost being paid. So the million-dollar question comes down to, is God a God of cost or is God a God of reward? And the simple answer to that question is yes. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Here's the reward. Who for the joy that was set before him. Here's the cost. Endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated. Here's the reward. At the right hand of the throne of God. So cost and reward go hand in hand. Who for the joy, the reward that was coming, he knew what the prize was going to be, the reward, sitting down at the right hand of the throne of God, all power, all glory and dominion. And because of that, he was able to endure the cross. He was able to go through the pain of crucifixion, the cost of crucifixion, because he had the reward in his focus. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 to 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize as a reward? So run that you may obtain it. What? The prize. So you may obtain the reward. Everyone's running. He says that's not the purpose. Everyone can be on the track. That's not the goal. One person can, you're going after the prize. You're chasing after the reward. Every athlete, verse 25, exercises self-control in all things. That's the cost. Self-control. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. That's the reward. We an imperishable reward. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. In other words, I am going to pay a price. If I want the reward, I've got to pay the cost. So I discipline my body and I keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. So whoever would save his life, you're looking for the reward, you're going to lose it. Because you haven't paid a cost and you're trying to get the reward, then you won't get the reward. You're going to lose it. But whoever loses, that's the cost, his life will find it. That's the reward. You're not going to get a reward without a cost. You're not going to get a a cost without getting a reward. Both of those things are in the hand of God. Peter said to him, Mark chapter 10, 
See, we have left everything and followed you. What's that? That's the cost. Peter says, we've left everything. We've we've paid the price. That's the cost. Jesus said to him, there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who, who will not receive a hundredfold. Now, in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands with persecutions. There's the cost sandwich in this reward in this age and in eternal life. So he says, you're going to have to pay a price. But I want to encourage you, no matter what you give up for me in this life, you're going to get back more in this life and in the life to come. And then he says, there's going to be persecution in the middle of that. So it's not all going to be easy, but I'm here to tell you, if you pay a price, there's going to be a corresponding reward. And it's not one for one. It's not like one sacrifice equals one reward. He says, one sacrifice, and what am I going to do? I'm going to give you brothers and sisters and houses 100-fold, not just now, in this vapor we call life, but in eternity, which is actually what he's talking about in the book of Matthew chapter 16. Romans chapter 3 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the cost. And justified by his grace as a gift, that's the reward through the redemption in Christ. There's always, you, you, you have sinned, you've fallen short, but the reward that he's going to give us in life is if you repent of that, if you make a decision to turn your back on your sin and say, you know what, I've hurt you, I've broken you, I've been against you, I, I, I want to I repent, I want a metanoia, I want to change direction, then I'm going to receive from you the reward which is the grace of God. Here's a great scripture for cost and reward, especially when you, here's how you've got to think about it. Uh, every cost on the teeter-totter, on the scale, is like a rock. Every reward is like a feather. That's why if somebody criticizes you and tells you you're doing a bad job or says something bad about you, you're probably going to remember that for the rest of the day. You know, think about that. You could have 50 people tell you you're fantastic and one person tell you you're horrible. It's highly unlikely you're going to go home and go, woohoo, 50 people said I'm fantastic and that one stupid person who says I'm horrible is just a moron. No, you're going to be thinking about the one person. Why? Because the cost is like a rock. Now, you need to think about this when it comes to children, and it comes to the workplace, and it comes to volunteers, and it comes to team, it comes to your spouse, that when you put a criticism in the scales, it weighs heavy. It's a rock. Now, 10 pound of feathers will balance out 10 pound of rock. But the mass of the feathers is greater than the mass of the rock. It takes more feathers than it takes rock. And so you and I need to be building people up, encouraging people, speaking life into people. If all you are, if all you are in your spouse's life is a source of criticism, then all you're doing every day is throwing a rock, throwing a rock, throwing a rock. You're making a withdrawal out of the emotional bank account. And somewhere along the line, you're going to bankrupt that relationship or you're going to tip the scale. If all you're doing is finding fault, eventually someone's going to shut you off 
Because all you're doing is throwing the rock and the scales are out of balance. And the Bible says that God hates a false balance. He hates unjust weights. And so we need to make sure if, I'm gonna, if I need to challenge my spouse, then I need to have a lot of compliments in there. So when I make the challenge, there's not a negative withdrawal. I'm not going to bankrupt the relationship. And God invented that. <laughs> he knows to keep you motivated. He just can't keep whipping you and getting you to pay the price. It's going to be cost and it's going to be reward. And the reward is always out of proportion with the cost. We're like, oh, I'm not really sure I agree with that. Well, you're entitled not to agree with it. That's your entitlement. Having said that, Malachi chapter 3 verse 10 says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. How many of you know that tithing is a cost? Let's just be real. You could do a lot more with that tithe. Some of you don't tithe because the tithe is a cost. Some of you are like, I can't, can't, because you just like, I, if I put that in, I, so, so some of you don't. 5% of the church in America tithe. That's the stat. So 95% of Americans said tithe is too much. So there's a cost. I, I tithe. I've been a tither since the day I got saved. And I know, man, if I put all that money away in a bank account, I'll be eating Cheetos or something. Anyway, so there's a cost in the tithe. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse. There's a cost. And therefore, for put me to the test, if you haven't paid the cost, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down on you a blessing until there is no more need. Or another, another translation says, until there is no way that you can contain it. So God says, if I'm going to motivate you about bringing your 10% in every week, then I need to increase your 100%. To keep you motivated for 40 years of your Christianity, you've got to see that 100% go up. So God knows, I just can't keep taking, 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 and not blessing you back. If you give, you'll receive. If you sow, you'll reap. If you, if you invest, you're going to get it back. And God doesn't say, if you put your tithe in, God will give you your tithe back. It doesn't say here, God doesn't say here, hey, listen, if you put 10% of your income in, I'm going to give you 10% of your income back. You can, you can count on that. No, he says, no, bring 10% of your income into the storehouse. Invest it into my house. Why? So there is food in my house. There's a cost. It costs money to run a church. It costs money to build a vision. It costs money to move the kingdom of God forward. God understands that. And so he says, I want you to bring your tithe in. That's the cost. But if I'm going to keep you motivated, John Morgan, and you're still tithing after all these decades of being saved, then I need you to be able to look at your 100% or look at the results of your investment or look at a whole heap of different things that are there. And I need to bless you, not just by giving it to you back, but giving you back, pressed down, shaken together, running out all over, poured back into your chest. I need to open up the floodgates of heaven. Some of you are not really getting it. Just imagine, well, this is my wallet. This is my wallet. So God says, John, I want you to open this up. It's my wallet. I, I, I think we'd agree that the ceiling of this building in here is probably not a window in heaven. Maybe it's a hole in the window of heaven. Maybe it's a speck of dirt. We would say that's not, how many of you know that's not big enough to be a window in heaven? But let's imagine it was. Let's imagine that's a window. This is what God's saying. John, open that and I'll open that. 
open this and believe in me, pay the cost, and see if I won't open up, up that. That's why it always confuses me, why the people who fight against tithe, I don't tithe, I don't believe in tithe. Like, why wouldn't you? God's calling us into the greatest deal in history. If I bring that in, he's going to open up that. That's just smart. But what is that? That's cost and reward. And so when you pay the price with your spouse, you better open up that over your spouse. When you pay that with your children, you, or asking them to open that, you better open that over your children. If you're a boss at work and you're asking your staff to open up that, you better open up that over your staff. It's a biblical responsibility of cost and reward. But our, our, our challenge is that every one of us is weighted on one side of the scales or another. Like some of you who are on the cost side are like, I can't believe you're talking about blessing. We shouldn't expect blessing. You should just pay the price, lay your life down, expect to get nothing. That's the way God is. Maybe in your theology you like, yeah, God's a God of... You can get online and find these people. God's a God of judgment. And God's going to crush you like a bug. He's a God of righteousness and discipline. He shall crush you like a bug. There's cost, discipline, repentance. Lay your life down. There are other people you're weighted on the reward side. God's a God of love. God's not angry at you. He loves everybody. Come on, come on. It's like God isn't going to crush you like a bug. He's going to crush you with a big hug. He wants to hug you and he wants to kiss you and he wants to bless you. That's who God is. And it's all about reward. And it's probably built on your upbringing or biblical teaching of doctrine. But either of those are going to impact how you read the Bible. But if you can understand that he's not God of one or the other, he's the genius of the end. There is a price to pay. You've got to lay down your life. You've got to deny yourself. You've got to pick up your cross. You've got to follow after him. That, that's it. If you, if you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. So you've got to pay the price. You've got to lose your life. But if you lose your life, you will save it. If you lose it to him, he's going to bring his blessing your way. God is a God of cost and God is a God of reward. The Bible says that righteousness, that's the reward, and justice, that's the cost, are the foundations of God's throne. Psalm 101 verse 1, I will sing of your steadfast love, that's reward, and justice, that's cost to you, O Lord, and I will make music. The Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 1, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation for everyone. Everyone's included who believes, to the Jew first or also to the Greek, for in it, the righteousness, the goodness, the mercy, the love of God is revealed in the gospel. For all of sin, fallen short of the glory of God, but the goodness of God is His grace. So we know that in the gospel, the goodness of God is revealed, the reward of God. From faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. But then it says, for the wrath of God is revealed. Judgment, cost from heaven against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So the gospel is weighted. Cost and reward. God says there's a reward. 
Grace, mercy, eternity, freedom, life, blessing, healing. The word salvation comes from the Greek word sozo, and it's huge. It means deliverance. It means freedom. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, healing to the brokenhearted, setting at liberty the captive, lifting off the weight of the oppressed, preaching the acceptable year of the Lord. The gospel is good news. Is there anybody in the house today that's grateful for the good news of the gospel? That's a reward. But also the judgment of God. That God says, sin will wreck you. Sin will destroy you. Sin will mess up your life. There's a right way to live and there's a wrong way to live. Don't live the wrong way because the wrong way is going to bring bad things towards you. And so God hates what sin does to people. That's the hardest thing for the church to get in their head. We think that God hates people. No, God hates sin because sin wrecks people. God loves people, but God hates sin. And God says to people, you can't sin because it's going to destroy you. And because it's going to destroy you, I need you to pay the price. I need you to say no to the things that are going to destroy you. And he knows when you say no to the things that are going to destroy you, you're going to say no to a lot of things that your flesh likes to do. She so says, I hate all those things of the flesh because they're destructive, but I love you. And so in the gospel is the righteousness of God and the judgment of God is revealed. For whoever will save his life, if you just try to live by the reward, you're going to lose it. He's called you to more than just his presence. He said, if you try to save it, if you just think about you, if you just think about now, you just think about your agenda. Don't think about the kingdom. If you come to church and all you think about is you and you attending church and you being here and how it feels for you and what you like in your life and me and my and I and my thing. He's like, if, if, if you just say all about you, you've missed the plot. Now, I'll keep giving you my presence because he'll never leave you or forsake you. He loves you. But I'll remove my purpose. And I put my purpose on somebody else who say, you know what? I love you and I know you love me, but I got to be about other people. I gotta, there are unsaved people that need to get saved. There are lives that are going to be changed. We're going to build your kingdom. And that's my passion. If you save your life, you'll lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. I know the cost people are thinking, well, he's just one of those name it and claim it guys. And all the reward people are like, oh, he's just one of those blame it and shame it guys. But cost and reward always go hand in hand. And when you understand that's the principle, that if I lay it down, I'll get it back. Whatever I sacrifice, more is going to come my way. You will not find in the scripture, there may be a few references in there, but the principle will flow all the way. Cost. Reward. If you want the reward, you've got to pay the price. If you pay the price, anticipate the reward. Maybe some of you have never received the reward of your tithing because religion has talked you out of the ability to claim it. And well-meaning people on the cost side of the equation, they're not bad people. They're on the cost side. We'll get up to take the offering. And so we're going to give our money today, but uh, we're not giving to get. 
You're just here to give to God and don't expect anything back. Don't expect a nickel back. Just give it to him, pay the price, because that's what you should do, because you go into heaven. You should be thankful you're going to heaven, and so you should give him your tithe and never, you give but never expect to receive back. I've heard that multiple times, and that is not true. None of what I just said there is true. That is from someone who's all about the cost. All about the cost. You're defying Scripture. What a man sows, that he will also... In the book of Genesis, you sow a seed of like kind, and you'll receive what back? Like kind. If you sow an apple, what are you going to get back? How, how, how crazy would it be if I'm out there sowing apples, and you come up to me and say, John, what are you sowing? I'm sowing apples. And then what are you expecting? I'm like, nothing. I'm hoping none of those seeds grow. I'm planting them, I'm cultivating them, I'm putting them in the ground, I'm stamping on them, I planted a whole field of apples, and I'm just hoping against hope that nothing is going to grow, because I'm sowing and hoping not to reap. Equally as crazy, if I sowed a field of apples, and you see me, what are you sowing, John? I'm sowing apples. What are you putting in the ground? Apple seeds. They call me Johnny Appleseed. What are you putting down there? And then I go, I'm expecting to get pumpkins. I like pumpkins. I hate apples. Don't like those masanas. I like the pumpkins. I want some pumpkins in my life. Then you'd be like, planting the wrong seed. Because God put in the principle, if you sow apples, you get. If you sow pumpkins, you get. If you're sleeping around and you sow babies, you're going to get. Don't be shocked when she's pregnant. How did that happen? But here's what we say. Sow your money, don't expect to get money back. Sow your money and just believe God for good children. No, sow discipline in your children. Sow love. Sow care. Sow justice. Sow mercy. Sow yourself into your children and then expect to get children, good children back. Well, sow your tithe and expect to have a good marriage. I can't buy a good marriage from God. I got to invest myself in that relationship. So if whatever you sow, cost, that you will also reap, reward, and according to God, the rewards are always greater than the cost. That's why he says, if you pay the cost in this life, then you will gain it what? Gain it back here and in eternity. And in the scripture, he's giving the context of the parameters. Our life is a vapor. Let's say you get, and some of you are way over this, but 70 years. My dad passed at 87. That's a pretty good innings. 87 years of age. But that's like $87 if Bill Gates and Bezos and all the richest people in the world combined their money and they lost $75 or 75 cents. Would they care? So this vapor here, God's saying, pay the price here. I'll bless you here, but keep your eye on the life to come because that's the life that really matters. It's always cost. It's always reward. If you believe that, give Jesus Christ a big round of applause right now, and I'm going to drink whatever water's left.
For God so loved the world. For God so loved you. I don't know who you are. I don't know your story. I don't know your background. The the good news is I don't need to. Because there's one greater than me whose heart is after you. That's our Heavenly Father. That's Jesus, the King of Kings. That's the Holy Spirit. We have a God who created you, who made you unique. That's the whole message next weekend for our children. We talk about the Creator God creating people as individuals. That's a message we'll be preaching. The candy and all the fun, that's just an object to be able to get unsafe people into the kingdom of God. That's, that's the reward. But we're going to preach the gospel. We're going to present the word of God. Without shame, without embarrassment, hopefully they'll bring their parents and their parents will be here next week and that's always a fun time. But if you're here today, you need to know that God loves you. End of story. For God so loved you that he gave Jesus. We say, well, I, I don't know anything about that. You don't need to. God's arms are open wide. And he says, if you just come, I'll receive you as you are. Now, you can hold God out, and he's, not gonna, he's a gentleman. He's not going to rain on your parade. But right now, the arms of God are open wide, and hopefully you feel the presence of God. And God's saying, look, if you just drop your arm and come and embrace me, I'll love you back. That's the first step on the journey. Today, we dedicated babies here, all different ages. But, but with your child, when your child is born, you expect it to grow on the journey. You're waiting to see the journey. My, my grandson's starting to smile and laugh and soon he'll be talking. And my other grandson is talking and making decisions and rebelling at two and all those things. And it's the journey that you get to enjoy. The prayer of salvation is the first step in the journey. In November, we're going to have a new Christians class. If you help people that are new to Christ, get on the journey and and talk about the steps of the journey. But it all begins with a prayer. We're going to pray that prayer right now. So if you are here today and you say, John, that's me. I am not right with God, but I need a brand new start in my life and my relationship with him. I'm going to invite you to pray that prayer with me right now. Uh, We're all going to pray. You pray that prayer. And if you pray that prayer today and you want to take that first step in the journey, you can fill out a connect card, let somebody know you prayed it. Give it to one of our pastors who will be up the front here in a moment uh, praying for people or drop it at the connect desk. Somebody will connect back with you and let you know what the journey is. But the first step is that prayer. Can we all pray that prayer right now? If you need Jesus, you ask him with all your heart. But pray this prayer with me. Say, dear Jesus, I come to you today and I'm asking you for a brand new start in my life and my relationship with you. Please forgive me for all my past, the mistakes, things I've done wrong, doing it my own way. But today, I embrace your love. I embrace your grace and I embrace your mercy. Come into my world and make a difference. Let me know your presence. Let me know your Holy Spirit. Let me walk this race all of my life. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Can somebody give the Lord a great round of applause? Why don't you stand with us right now?